Uh, thanks for the opportunity to speak. Uh, I believe that God has called me to be a channel of his truth and his word. I believe that that's what my vocation, my purpose is. So I'm very grateful to be here and to be uh, talking with you today. So let's go ahead and let's start off with prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a good God who loves us as we are. And as Mac read uh, earlier, that you hold us through the fire and the waves will not overcome us. God, I hope, Lord, I hope, God, that you would bring that truth in our hearts, that we would recognize that experiencing your joy is found in knowing who we are in you and knowing that you are for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, today we are talking about joy. It's a part of Advent. It's all over the uh, Christmas season, from songs like Joy to the World to uh, different letters to commercials. It's everywhere. And the question is, what really is joy? What is joy? Um, So if you do a survey of of the Bible, which is one of the nerdy things I like to do all the time, uh, on the word joy, you can see how joy and rejoicing are interconnected. That's important because joy is something you experience in your heart, but rejoicing is something that you do externally, something you express. That's ultimately leading to sharing. And the ancient uh, Israelites, they celebrated and they always explained their uh, festivals, such as Passover, as being joyful. Joy, in its essence, in Scripture, is this. Realized freedom rooted in identity and purpose. When the Israelites were celebrating their festivals, uh, whether they be Passover or Yom Kippur, what they were celebrating is that they were free in God. And they knew their purpose, that we are his, we belong to him. And they knew that what they were called to do, which was to be a light to the nations. And uh, in this season, it's easy to miss that point, that what joy means And what joy comes from is actually knowing who you are and knowing what you're called to do, Uh, especially as Christians today. We're so easily distracted by so many different things from politics, just the internet, just to binge watching. It's hard to sometimes stay silent and allow God to speak to us and tell us who we are in him. I remember when I was uh, younger, uh, in my early 20s, I actually suffered from depression. I usually kept it to myself. And uh, what I would often do is just lock myself in my room, uh, listen to music, or I would go on long drives. And um, by the way, before I continue, if, if anyone is, does suffer from depression, uh, that's the worst thing you can do. <laughs> um, if you have thoughts of suicide or feelings of worthlessness, talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. Your thoughts aren't stupid. You are valuable. You are made in God's image. And there are people in this church right now who want to put their arms around you and walk with you in this journey. So I just want to say that before I continue. My story may not, is not your story, and how things worked out for me is not your story. So I just want to make sure that that is very clearly said. But for me, um, uh, I was going on a long drive one time, and I was driving my mom's car, who's here, by the way. And I wanted to listen to some music. I didn't bring my music with me, and all she had was an old 70s musician, a Christian musician, that was really, really cheesy. Uh, oh, my goodness. Guy, the guy's name was Keith Green. And uh, I didn't know who he was at first. I didn't know. And I was playing his music, and there was this one line 
that just got stuck in my head over and over and over again. It was, it is so hard to see when my eyes are on me. And I didn't know what that meant really at the time. I was like, oh, this is ridiculous, but I need to have some sort of music on. And then I remember a, a few months later, me and two of my friends, all for the wrong reasons, we decided to go downtown Jacksonville and start praying for people. And it's all for the wrong reasons because it was about us being macho. And say, We're not afraid. Our friends aren't doing this. It, it was not the right reasons. But when we got there, you know, I, I realized, I'm like, if we, if we go start praying for people in this attitude, this is not going to be good. Let's circle back. And we just prayed. We said, dear God, I pray, Lord, that you would just reveal to us who we are, that we would work and we would operate in your love for the people around us. And that's what we did. And there was a complete change that happened. And we walked around praying for people, hearing people's stories, talking to them. And I felt the Holy Spirit come over me like I'd never had up until that time. I was touching people, praying for them. It was, it was beautiful. And I remember driving home on my way back, thinking, you know, during that entire time, I didn't feel worthless. I didn't have thoughts of depression. I didn't, I didn't have that feeling of being invalid. And as soon as I thought that, the line came in my head. It's so hard to see when my eyes are on me. And what it, that tells me is that, for me anyway, my depression, my lack of joy was rooted in me not knowing who I was. Me wanting to look at my worthlessness and looking at things that God did not tell me to look at. Everyone here is made in God's image. This is your identity. This is what Genesis meant in the very beginning when God created us in his image. You are loved by him. You reflect him in this world. That's who you are. That's who you are. But that's also something you do. I don't have time to go on this because I am very limited in time, so my apologies. But part of what it means to be the image of God is to be his imager, is to reflect him. There's a program that goes all throughout Scripture. I know we read through the Bible just a few weeks ago, but a part of that that may be seen through different passages is that God reflects his love and his light to his people, first starting at Israel, that they may reflect their light into the world so that the world may reflect the light back up to God. That's, that's the program of all of Scripture. Israel was called to be a blessing to the nations, a light to the nations. And here we are called to do the same. We're called to continue that journey. That's not putting, turning the world upside down. A lot of people say Jesus came to turn the world upside down. He came to turn it right side up. What it means to be human, what it means to be in your identity, is to walk in that, that I am God's image. Today I want to talk about um, Matthew chapter 5. This is one of the clearest descriptions of Jesus' teaching. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the passage, I want to show is Jesus telling us our identity, which is that we are salt and light. Many of you may be familiar with that. But before he even talks about who we are, he tells us who he is. And he tells us his heart. Uh, can we put up the, the Beatitudes? Um, actually, the one after that. Yeah, the Beatitudes. <laughs> well, anyway, um, Jesus uh, talks about the Beatitudes. And a lot of people say the Beatitudes are about what you should be. Blessed are those who mourn, which means you should mourn for your sin. Well, that's not really what the Beatitudes are. The Beatitudes are a way of showing uh, us where God's heart is. It's to reorient us to see who God really cares about. 
I'm just going to use a few of the Beatitudes as, as an example, but I want to get this first picture shown. God reveals himself to you so you can be who you are, who you were meant to be. That's the first thing that I want to just point out here. Blessed, favored by God, are those poor in spirit. Literally, that means those short of breath, those who are at the end of their rope, those people who feel like the whole world is crashing down on them. (laughs) Those people. And everyone ignores. But Jesus says, blessed are those. Blessed are those people. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That was something that all the Israelites were hoping for. When is the kingdom of heaven coming? Right now, that kingdom of heaven belongs to those people. Blessed are those who are grieving, those who are mourned. This is literally what it means. It's like the person who lost someone they loved. It's like the the person who's alone by themselves in the bed, crying their their eyes out. And Jesus is saying, blessed are those people. And he attaches a promise to it. Because they will be comforted. He goes on to say, blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness. That's the, the, the literal Greek, by the way. It's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. The word righteousness is also connected to the word justice. Sometimes we try to separate those two things in our culture, but being equality, equality and being good were actually combined. They're actually connected in, in Jesus' time. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsting for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And blessed are you when people mock you, oppress you, or lie about you because you follow Jesus. And Jesus essentially says, have joy and be glad, because you're part of a greater legacy. He tells you his heart, first of all. He tells you what his heart is for, who his heart is for. And the people he was talking to were those people, people that weren't the religious leaders of the day. They weren't the authorities of the day. They were often walked on. And Jesus is saying, these are the people I care about. And then right after that, he goes into, you are the salt of the earth. And this word you here is actually an emphasis. I'm getting kind of technical right now, so my apologies. But it's you, you, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What is salt? Well, some people say it's flavoring. Some people say it's a preservative. My opinion, that's just another metaphor. It doesn't really clarify what we're trying to understand what salt means. Uh, But if you look at other Gospels, like Mark and Luke, you can see uh, what salt actually refers to. Salt is, a, is used as a metaphor for our commitment to Christ. In Mark, he says, it's better to cut off your hand, take out your eye, cut off your foot. He's talking about the sin. Maybe you struggle with lust. Maybe you struggle with anger. Maybe it's just you feel like the sense of apathy about the people around you. A sense of arrogance. And Jesus is saying, cut that off. Cut it off. Let it go. You're going to be made dull if you don't do that. You're going to be, lose your saltiness. Luke even makes it, takes it to the next level. He says, um, if you cannot, if, you, if your loyalty is grounded in your, yourself, if your identity is grounded in yourself, if your identity is even grounded in your family, then you're not getting it. Have salt within yourself. Be the salt which means that we do not say Jesus and this, Jesus and that. We follow Jesus. We follow him completely. Tim Keller says it this way, and I think this is really gets, gets to the heart of it, because 
I think in our culture today, it's very easy to get caught up in being on certain teams. And, and Jesus is not calling you to be a Jesus and a Republican or a Jesus and a Democrat or a Jesus and an Independent. He's calling you to be a Christ follower. This is what Tim Keller says. If we get our identity, our sense of worth, from our political position, then politics is not what it's really about. It's about us. Through our cause, we are getting a self, our worth. That, we, that means we must despise and demonize the opposition. If we get our identity from our ethnicity or socioeconomic status, then we have to feel superior to those of other classes and races. If you are profoundly proud of being an open-minded and tolerant soul, you'll be extremely indignant toward people you think of as bigots. If you are a very moral person, you will feel superior to people you think are licentious, and so on. What Tim Keller is saying is that we have to be committed to Christ first because you will lose your saltiness. The image of salt, uh, and some scholars say this, I'm not sure, some people disagree with this, but it's the idea of a block of salt that was actually filled with other impurities, and whether because of weather or because of of rain or different temperature changes, the salt would actually leak out, and what would be left is this useless, tasteless thing that was usually thrown out into the streets. That's what that salt is. It's salt and other things attached to it. Jesus is saying, don't lose your saltiness. The word losing your saltiness is actually one word. It's it's where we get the word moron from. I know that sounds crazy, but... Uh, but the word means made dull. Don't let your life with Christ be made dull because it's Jesus and other things. Our identity has to be grounded in him. It has to be found, under, found in him. Then he goes on to say, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Light is a beautiful metaphor. There are very few metaphors in the Bible that intertwine our identity, our purpose with God's purpose. The Bible says that God is light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And in this passage, he again emphasizes it here. You, you are the light of the world. We're like a lighthouse that's meant to bring the ships that are in the darkness safely back to shore. That's what we're called to do, to carry that vocation, to be his imager in this world. What it means to be light is to be the blessing to the nations. What it means to be light is to take what we have in our worship services, what you experience by yourself, in worship, when you experience God's presence and infuse that into your life at work or at school or to your wife or to your husband or to your children. It's taking what God has given you and giving it back to other people. That's what God is calling you to. That's what we're called to. There's another aspect to life or light that I don't want to miss. I think that's very important. I know my time is very short right now. Um, and that's this. Um, light is also described in the book of John as being of transparency, of being open, of being honest. Jesus didn't die for a mask. He didn't die for you, yourself, that you pretend to be around other people. He died 
for you, that part of you that no one else sees. That's who he died for. That's who he came for to rescue. And it's, it's very easy for us to put different barriers in front of our, our, own, our own self and say, this is who I am or this is who I am. No, Jesus died for you. In the book of John, uh, Jesus says this, men love the darkness rather than the light and fear that their deeds would be exposed. But the righteous, the people who love the light, came to the light to show that uh, their works have been wrought by God, have been brought about by God. The point is this, that light has to do with being open and transparent. In the letter, 1 John, John says this, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, the first thing he says is, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. That's not an order of, you know, first you have fellowship, then you have... No, that's not what he's saying. The point is this. The first thing that he wants to emphasize is your fellowship with other believers, your connection to other people, is going to be rooted and grounded in your honesty and your transparency. When we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with other people. So I think uh, Fred Rogers, he was a man who uh, a lot of people like. Uh, He was a really really interesting character. He uh, loved children, and he loved to teach children. And um, I don't know if many of you have seen him on that, um, that one video that's been posted on Facebook for the past few years, where he is testifying before Congress to get funding. Uh, if you don't know who Fred Rogers is, that's Mr. Rogers. Um, but not many people know this about uh, Fred Rogers, is that he actually went to school with some top theologians. He actually went to seminary uh, with people like R.C. Sproul. And there's something about him that I just think is so compelling. He says this, and many of you know this song. Um, it's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. It's you I like, the way you are right now, the way down deep inside you, not the things that hide you, nor the toys, nor your toys, they're just beside you. It's you I like. And what he's getting at is his own experience with the Father. This is how I experience. And out of the light that God gave to him, he says, I, I, I see this need over here. They're, 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 our children are not knowing who they are. And he shines it straight out to a whole generation of young children. And that's what you're called to. It's walking in that freedom. It's realizing that you are completely accepted before God. But we have to let go of those chains, let go of those masks that we hold, and just follow him. He's going to take you to new places, and I just challenge you that for today. So there's four things I want us to to think about and walk away with. Because of Jesus Christ, you are completely accepted and loved by God as you are. Two, being made in God's image, you have purpose. Number three, because of his unshakable love, you are accepted in your mistakes and in your struggles. And number four, because he set you free, you are called into authentic community. I'm going to read one more passage here. This is from John chapter 15. This kind of sums up purpose, identity, and joy. Jesus is speaking to a crowd. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abided his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy 
may be full, literally permeate your entire being. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Our identity is found that we are loved first and foremost. And out of that, we love other people. His commandments are not burdensome. They're not hard. They're very freeing. And it's just to follow him. Let's pray. Um, Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you, God, for your joy. Thank you, Lord, that we can walk in your joy and that we can know who we are and know what we are called to do. I pray for opportunities for everyone in this room. I pray for motivation and for desire to serve and to love so that their joy may be full. In Jesus' name, amen.